Uh, let's turn once again uh, in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now, I think it's important that we remember as we get started again today that growth in the Christian life uh, is, is not automatic uh, growth in grace, growth in faith, growth in Christ-likeness is not something that occurs automatically. It's one of the reasons Jesus said to his disciples, take heed how you hear. Uh, don't, don't be content with mere passive hearing, but be all ears. Uh, the author of Hebrews gives a similar exhortation to activity when he, he, he tells his, his readers to, to, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles them and, and hinders them. Throw it off. Be, be engaged. Be active in this pursuit of Christ-likeness. Uh, the Apostle Peter, I don't think you can put it any more strongly, said, uh, make Every effort, strive with every fiber of your being. Uh, growth in the Christian life does not occur automatically. And so as we come once again to the fruit of the Spirit, we, we are not to think that we can simply sit back and wait for this fruit to appear in our lives. It's true, of course, that this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's Spirit-generated fruit. But sanctification, growth in Christ-likeness, uh, throwing off sin, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, sanctification, it engages us to a life of spirit-enabled activity. All of this, undergirding all of, of what we've been studying as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ and the mission that the Holy Spirit is sent on by God the Father and God the Son is to take believing men and women and to conform them to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. Now today we're, we're going to look actually at two of these, uh, these spiritual graces. You might be happy to hear that. We're actually going to have a sermon on two words today, not just one, making some progress. We're going to look, at, we're going to look uh, together at kindness and goodness. And I, and I want us to think about them together because they sort of, they sort of run together in the Bible. I, I think we can say that kindness is the product of goodness. That goodness is the disposition and kindness is the evidence of goodness. Where there is true kindness, behind that there is true goodness. It's the, if I can put it this way, the evidence of goodness, kindness is. Well, before we look at these two graces, let's pray once again and ask for the Lord's blessing before we read our passage. Let's pray. Our Father uh, in heaven, uh, would you give us everything we need today to, to take heed how we hear, to be all ears, 
and to apply this word to our lives. We are utterly helpless without you and without your grace. And so we, we ask, uh, Lord, because we need, we need the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. That harmonious work in which they, they bring about Christ's likeness in the lives of those who believe the gospel. Would you, would you do that work in our lives today, conforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, if you've been with us through this series on the fruit of the Spirit, we've seen together that the great ministry of the Holy Spirit is to conform believing men and women to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And we've also seen that preeminently the fruit of the Spirit is, is a description of the, the moral character, the moral glory of the Lord Jesus himself. But because of the, the predestinating purpose of God, which is to conform his people to the image of Christ, and because of the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit to conform believers to Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is also a description of the normal Christian life. Of course, the normal Christian life that is worked out and lived out in the midst of conflict and struggle. Conflict and struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But to understand uh, kindness and goodness, which is what we're going to focus on today, I think it's helpful to see these qualities, first of all, manifested by God himself, as we did last week with patience, because, because uh, Kindness and goodness are characteristics of God himself. These are, these are God-like qualities. And if we're going to understand what it means for us to be kind and good, if we're going to answer the question, what, is it, what does it mean to show kindness? What, what is goodness? Then we need to look, first of all, at God, who is himself kindness and goodness. You know, in Romans 2, a passage I mentioned last week, Paul, Paul mentions the, the wealth of God's kindness. He asks the question, do you, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness? And in Titus chapter 3, the verses we read today for our assurance of pardon, verse 4, Paul says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works we had done, these two passages, I think, where it speaks about the riches of God's kindness and his kindness appearing, flesh out for us, I think, what God's kindness is. You can summarize it this way and, and say very simply that God's kindness is simply his grace shown to undeserving sinners. His kindness is his grace shown to judgment-deserving sinners. That's what the kindness of God is. He, he, does not, he does not immediately swallow us up in righteous 
holy wrath. On the contrary, when the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. The Son of God entered the world as one of us, for us, in order to save us. He he did not treat us as our sins deserve. Instead, He came into this world to save sinners. God's kindness was manifested. Just think about that that verse in Titus 3 with me for a minute. How was God's kindness manifested? It was manifested primarily in in two ways, two important ways. It was manifested, first of all, in the the incarnation of the Son of God. The, The Son of God taking on our humanity. Uh, the, the, the creator taking on creatureliness, coming down, living among us, living, meeting us right where we are. The eternal son of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. No, he, he made himself nothing. This is the kindness of God coming down to where we were, walking on the dust of this earth. This is, this is kindness incarnate, kindness enfleshed, as God himself accommodated himself to save sinners. But think about it, of course, the incarnation of the Son of God did not exhaust the manifestation of God's kindness. Actually, in a, in a, in a sense, it was a means to an end, wasn't it? Uh, the Son of God, I think, there's an even greater revelation of the loving kindness of of God as the Son of God appeared in our flesh in order to to be a propitiation for our sins, in order to satisfy the the wrath of God for our sins. You see, the, the, the kindness of God is not seen in all of its splendor and wonder in the incarnation of of Christ. It is seen in its unfairness fullness, its unfathomable glory in the enfleshed Son of God, nailed and crucified to a tree as he endured God's judgment in order that we might be saved. The kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. And it was no mere sentimental feeling. In his kindness, God acted to save. You see, I think this is where divine Kindness runs into divine goodness because God's kindness seeks out the good of sinners because God is good. I think we see something of that kindness uh, illustrated in, in the story of the, the prodigal son coming, coming back to his father. You, you remember how that story went. Uh, he, he left his father and well, just made a total mess of his life, didn't he? He, he? he showed no regard for the family name. In fact, he, he defiled the family name. He came to his senses. He, he realized his, his sin and, and his shame. And he turned back and he, he came back to the father still covered in the, the blemishes of his sin. He, he came back to the Father entrusting himself to mercy. And what was he met with? He was met with a Father running to him with open arms, embracing him, 
and saying, this my son who was lost has now been found. You see something there, I think, of the kindness and goodness of God. And so God's kindness leads us inevitably to talking about his goodness. You remember the, the encounter between uh, uh, Jesus and the young man, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks the, you know, the provocative question, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And it's because God is good that he does good. And, and, and it's God's goodness that guarantees that his kindness is never a mere sentimental indulgence. It's God's goodness that guarantees his kindness is never unrighteous. In other words, when we, when we think about the kindness of God, we're not to think that he somehow ignores our sin, turns a blind eye to our sin, or that he refuses to confront sin. On, on the contrary, it's because God is good that we can be sure that all of his ways with his children are for our good, even when that involves our father dealing with our sin. I think the author of Hebrews helps us understand this in Hebrews chapter 12. He reminds us that God deals with us as a father for our good. He says, my son, do not, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, Hebrews says. See, he always has, he always has our ultimate good in, at heart. He always has our ultimate end in view. And his kindness and goodness, they, they work together in glorious harmony to ensure that his kindness is never indulgence. He seeks to do us everlasting good because by nature, God is good. Now, with that very general sketch of, of God's kindness and, and goodness, I think that, I hope, equips us to understand what Paul is saying when he says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness. This is what the Spirit of Christ reproduces in the life of Christ's people. Uh, as, as we looked at, at these graces, I, remember, we, we've seen that they are profoundly uh, relational. Right? Remember, Paul is not speaking here in the abstract. Is it back in, in, uh, is it in verse 5? Uh, I don't remember the verse offhand now. You can tell me later. Paul, Paul talks about the Galatians who are using their freedom to indulge the flesh. Paul says that's, that's not what you've been called to, brothers, but rather serve one another in love. In verse 13, he, he identifies some of the conflict. There's, there's backbiting and infighting. And, and he says, watch out. If you keep this up, you are going to devour one another. You see, Paul is not speaking here in the abstract. He's talking about the inner relations of the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ. That's his concern here. So what will it mean for us to show kindness and goodness to one another? 
it will mean at the most basic level that, that we will not, as God does not, treat one another as our sins deserve. But rather, rather, on the contrary, we will pursue the good of one another. The good of our brothers and sisters will be what motivates our activity within the household of Jesus Christ. And our good will be what motivates our brothers and sisters toward us as they relate to us. Because we are to pursue that God-like grace in our relationships with one another. Showing, showing kindness that does not treat the other as our sin deserves. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote these words. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind to each other and to everyone else. You see, friends, our, our kindness is not to stop with one another. God's, God's kindness did not stop with the church, did it? That's what got Jonah so upset. We mentioned him last week. He was, he was upset because God showed kindness to those awful pagan Ninevites who, who had persecuted the people of God. But you see, God is kind to all and we are commanded to be kind to each other and to everyone else, not treating others as our sins deserve. Now in light of that, what I want to do is... I want, to, I, want to, I want to mention four practical things I think this will mean for us as we think about Christian kindness in particular. Here's the first thing of four things. Christian kindness sees beyond itself to the needs of others and seeks to do them good. Christian kindness sees beyond its own needs. Sees beyond itself. You know, we live, do we not, in a, in a self-centered, self-obsessed, self-motivated culture, don't we? We, we live in a, in a society that I think is well, narcissistic to the core. We have, we have been infected by an age that is, that is driven by you know, pleasure of self that seeks its own goods, uh, pursues its own agenda... It, it, is, it is an age of, I think, self-centeredness on steroids. Not so with the church of Jesus Christ, I think our Lord would say to us. Because, because the kindness of God appeared. God saw beyond himself. God took concern for unworthy sinners he emptied himself in the person of Christ by taking on the form of a slave. He counted, he counted others more important, more significant than himself. This is the mind of Christ. And it is the mind that we are to have in Christ Jesus. And dear friends, I think that's more of a battle than we, than we are willing to admit at times. Because we can get so caught up with our own concerns and our own interests tied up in our own lives. But one of the great marks of, of growth in grace, growth in Christ-likeness, is that we see beyond ourselves and we see the needs of others and we seek to do them good. 
And therefore, we are not to be so locked into our own personal and family agendas that we remain blind to the needs of the church of Jesus Christ. Christian kindness sees beyond itself. And so dear brother and sister, do, do, you, do you see beyond yourself? Here's the second thing we, we should say. Christian kindness very well may involve self-denying costs. It did for Jesus, didn't it? Jesus gave, well, he gave everything. He laid down his life in order to reveal the goodness and the kindness of God, in order to show it to his people. He, he laid down his life. He didn't spare anything as the one who was cursed by God for all the sins of his people. Literally, dear friends, Jesus went out of his way to do us good. I wonder, is that the spirit that resides within us? Are we, are we ready to embrace the cost of kindness? Are, are we ready to, to live a life of self-denying cost in order to secure the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Our fellow sinners. Our Lord Jesus, my friends, endured shame and crucifixion to show us kindness and, and to do us good. There we see the, the glorious goodness of God in, in all of its splendor and glory. We see Christ who was willing to, to leave behind his, his comfortable security in order to minister the goodness of God to people in need. And let's remember as we think about this, the Holy Spirit comes to produce in the lives of believing men and women likeness to Jesus Christ. So is this a reality that is, is manifested in in me and in you, or, or are, we, are we so locked into ourselves that we are not denying ourselves to show the kindness of Christ to others? Here's a third thing we should say about kindness. Christian kindness neither excuses sin nor indulges sinners. You know, there's, a, there's a balance here that requires wisdom and discernment, I think. On the, on the one hand, we, we are to be generous and merciful. And on the other hand, we are also to be righteous and not overstep the bounds of generosity and indulge sin. That's what God does. He maintains that perfect balance. That's why I read earlier Romans 2 where Paul asks, do you presume... On the riches of God's kindness, not realizing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, God's kindness is not indulgence. It is meant to, it is meant to shepherd you along to bring you to repentance, to a, to a heart change directed towards God. So you see, the real, the real good of, of men and women is never served well by indulgence. So that you think about it this way. There are two ways we could go wrong as we seek to show Christian kindness. On the one hand, we could become cold and callous to the needs of others. And maybe we'd say something like, well, we don't want to indulge sinners. 
And then on the other hand, we could blindly show sentimental kindness and say something like, well, I just, I want to be kind. But you see, Christian kindness is not cold or callous and it is never soft on sin because it's good. It's good. It is, it's not the lack of feeling, nor is it mere sentimental feeling. It doesn't, it doesn't withhold kindness, nor does it indulge or excuse sin. I don't know if this helps or not, but think about it. Think about it this way, a, a, a good parent doesn't withhold kindness, nor do they indulge the sins of their children. Actually, I think that's one of the great mistakes of, of our age, if I can put it this way. Parents, thinking that they were showing their children kindness, have actually been brutalizing their children. They have, they have been, in the name of kindness, indulging their children in a life of self-centeredness, teaching them all along the way how to love the world and how to love themselves. But that's not kindness. Kindness is not sheer, unadulterated indulgence. But God, you see, in his wisdom and goodness, loves his children better, better than that. He, he loves them enough to discipline them, not, not coldly, not callously, not out of sinful anger, but as a father who always has the ultimate good of his children in view. And here's the fourth thing. Christian kindness is, is showing mercy and pursuing the good even of our enemies. You remember the words of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies and, and pray for those who, who persecute you, that you may be like your father who is in heaven, that you may, that you may bear the, the family resemblance of your father in heaven. Jesus goes on to say, he, he causes the sun to, to rise on the, the unrighteous and the righteous. He, he causes the rain to fall on the just and, and the unjust. And he asks the, the stinging question, if you only love those who love you, what, what reward is there for you? Do not, even, do not even the pagans do that. Does not even the unbelieving world live like that? And then Jesus says in that context, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. In other words, be, be kind and generous. Be kind and do good to others, even to your enemies, even to those who are opposed to you, even to those who stand against you. Because that's, my friends, that's what God does. That's what God is like. He is kind and good even to his enemies. So, well, the test, we, let's, let's put it this way, the test of Christian kindness is not loving people who, who love you. The true test of Christian kindness is whether you love and seek to do good to those who, are, who will even persecute you. To those who despise you. Again, Jesus says even, even the unbelieving world loves and shows kindness to people who love them back. That's how, if that's how a godless world lives, the test of Christian kindness is how you respond to your enemies. 
just, just think, isn't, isn't that the test of God's kindness to you and me? Uh, when, the, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, insert another verse here, while we were still his enemies. While we went on hating God, hating others, being hated by others, he sent Christ into the world in the fullness of time to die for hell-deserving sinners. So how did God respond to his enemies? He, he sent his son to die for them. To lay down his life for them. To reconcile them to him in order that he might dwell in fellowship with them for, for eternity. What kindness God has shown to, to us. And so the, the fruit of the spirit is kindness and goodness. And my friends, this is something we need to, to take to heart. Something we really need to hear and to strive after with every fiber of our being to make it a reality in our lives. Because frankly, it's hard. But you know, the most, well, the most eloquent, most informed, most reformed confession of faith is self-deceived if kindness to your brothers and sisters, and kindness to others is lacking. You know, argue, argue all you want with that, but, but it's by our fruits that we are known. Because where the Spirit of Christ comes into a life, He comes to make it like the Savior Himself. He, he looks to image and mirror believing lives into the likeness of Jesus, that, that, that He might be the, the firstborn among many brethren, that we might bear the family likeness, wrestle and, and you know, squirm with that as we may, the evidence that we are Christians is, at all is not that we understand a lot or that we talk a lot, but that the, that the life of Christ is revealed and manifested in our lives. And so Paul, Paul is saying to these Galatians, take it back to the original context for a minute. He's saying to them, in all this talk about the Spirit, you need, to, you need to understand this. When the Spirit of Christ comes, He comes to change people. He comes to change their lives from the inside out. He comes to make them like the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes out to mark out the people of God with these Spirit-wrought graces that reflect something of to some real measure the moral glory of the Lord Jesus Christ you know friends we will we will never plumb the depths of God's kindness in in Christ to us a kindness that was willing to stoop from from heaven's throne and take on the form of a slave in, in order to save God-despising, hell-deserving sinners. That's kindness. That's the goodness of God on display. I think God is saying, as, as I have been to you, so you are to be to one another. Let, let something of who and what I am 
am be seen in the congregations of my son. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that that you are good beyond all imagining. And because you are good, you have been so kind to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. While you dwelled in a holy heaven, and while we lived here on a sinful earth, deserving nothing from you but your eternal judgment, you saw fit according to your free grace and out of your goodness to send forth your Son uh, to save us from our sins. And Lord, you've sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell within the hearts of your people. And we look to him now, a Spirit of the living God, and we ask that you would indeed Mark us out with these Christ-like graces more and more in our lives in order that the grace of God and the gospel might be honored and that you might be glorified here on this earth. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.